Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, folks. Just to say that uh, I'm an idiot suffering terribly from the one hour of jet lag between uh, here in Madrid and London. And I failed to plug my microphone in for the first uh, 40, 45 minutes or so of recording of this podcast. Luckily, we are pros at uh, things going wrong. So we were recording the Zoom audio, so uh, you will hear me for the first 40 minutes, but the quality of my audio will be slightly diminished. But don't worry, uh, I come back strong towards the end of the episode. Sorry about that, folks. And thank you, as always, for bearing with us. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, and a very warm welcome along to this latest edition of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location provide packages via Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including the US Open, which is on sale now with fantastic seats, hospitality and hotel packages available for next year's or for the year's final major event at Flushing Meadows in New York. Go to onlocationexp.com forward slash TTP to see what they have to offer. My little stumble there revealed to the unsuspecting public that I am, in fact, reading that from a script. Uh, Hitherto, I hope that everybody thought that it was all off the top of my inspired head. David's here. Hello, David. Yeah, hello. Uh, just you reading out about the US Open makes me excited about the US Open, but first I've got to get excited about Wimbledon and Roland Garros first. So, oh, isn't it good tennis? Control, control yourself, David. <laughs> Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello, yes. David's saying he's got to get excited about Roland Garros as though he hasn't been excited about it for the last 12 months. Every, every time mm. I go around... Catherine's house she gives me a different Roland Garros mug to drink out no, it's of the same, it's the same mug every time is David it? I've only got one yeah oh okay well every time I look at it I get excited it is a very classy mug though in yeah. terms of merch Roland Garros has the others over a barrel I think mm. um, we should rank I mean time. maybe it's not even Roland Garros maybe it's just sort of Paris you know mm. maybe they mm. don't even have to try that hard to make it classy but they 
they sure do succeed. Uh, we'll be at Roland Garros in a few weeks' time. Of course, we. when do we fly? We fly three weeks on Wednesday. Is it really? I'm going to say that definitively because oh. I know it to be true. We fly three weeks on Wednesday. I'm very specifically saying fly there because well, I'm still not over last year's Eurostar experience. That was a true horror that we won't be repeating, quite literally. <laughs> mm. Mm. So looking forward to the flight, folks. <laughs> um, you find David in his usual sunny Solihull, Matt in his usual sunny Richmond, and me in... Uh, well, I think it is sunny outside, but not in this hotel room in Madrid. Scene of this week's and last week's tennis. Uh, I haven't been on site yet. I arrived today, um, but I will be going on site tomorrow and I'll be presenting the coverage from the Mutua Madrid Open for Prime Video from Wednesday. And I'm excited because in terms of the tennis that I saw up close and personal last year that I was able to see live, Madrid was the best, I think. Wow. I mean, I got to see I got to see the only edition of Alcaraz Djokovic. I got to see Alcaraz Nadal. I got to see them back to back. I got to see Ons Jabeur in the best week of her career. Um and the, the position that we have on the court in Madrid, on the Manolo Santana court, really is inches away. Um, and of course, court we're... Level, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we're, who knows when, you know, at the time, Alcaraz Djokovic and Alcaraz Nadal felt special. And it's been a bit of a running joke all year, hasn't it? That, you know, when will they be united? But I am starting to think that it's a, you know, US Open Nadal Federer type situation oh, with the, no. the, the, I don't know the fates of the tennis gods are laughing at us somehow but anyway it does you know it does the concoction of the conditions um the sort of relative I guess players have had a, a, a bit of chance to bed in a, a bit on clay I don't know what exactly it is but do you tend to get good tennis matches here and we've I feel like we've had above average numbers of thrillers so far this tournament would that be fair to say I I feel like I've been quite consistently thrilled over the last few days could that become big anybody else is that maybe because in some regard more of them are able to be up in lights because the tournament lasts longer and they're not there's not as many simultaneously played tennis matches and therefore there's more on the show courts. No, I'm talking about the quality of the tennis, not my ability to watch them. Well, not necessarily even the quality, the drama of the tennis. We've had a lot of deciding set tie breaks, I think. I feel like that's been, you know, above quota. I don't know. Help help me out, Matt. You were nodding. See, uh... You were nodding when I was saying it and now you've deserted me. <laughs> I'm racking my brain trying to think of all the thrillers that I've watched this week. I watched one last night. That was uh, Holger Rune versus Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. Well, Rune played back-to-back thrillers because he had a, a deciding set tie-break against Bublik in the previous round. Yes. So that's, that's a good number of thrillers. The evidence is there. Mm. <laughs> I can't think of any others. <laughs> 
There has been what there definitely has been one other. But anyway, I look, the tennis has been good. Let's talk about some of it. Um let's start with the women's draw, shall we? We've got all the last sixteen matches uh being played or having been played today. Iga Shontek hasn't played yet today. Uh she will face no, yes. Yes, Shontek hasn't played today. She's the last match of the day against Ekaterina Alexandrova. She will face Petra Martic in the quarterfinals because Petra Martic has just beaten Barbora Krejcikova in two straight sets. And Krejcikova's got a horrible record in Madrid. That I mean, she got her first ever win here um, in her opening match this week. So obviously doesn't suit her particularly well. So it'll be Shontek. Uh, or Alexander Brett against Martic. It's been it's been a pretty good week so far for old world number one clay court queen Iga Swiatek, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, she's won her matches pretty straightforwardly, and I think perhaps most crucially for her is that Elena Rabakina went out of of her half of the draw. Uh, a very surprising to me anyway, lost to Anna Kalinskaya earlier in the week. And we've seen we've seen how Rabakina has had Sviontek's number this year. And I was I was actually sort of hoping that that match would happen on clay because I just wanted to see whether that Rabakina dominance over Sviontek would would translate to a clay court, especially in these quick conditions in Madrid. It felt like if anywhere was going to suit Rabakina for facing Sviontek on clay, it probably would be... Uh, Madrid, but Kalinskaya is is one of those players who can pop up and occasionally have a good win, but rarely builds on it, and and that that's certainly what happened this week. Uh, so yeah, Igor Swiatek so far had, had a really good week, I think, and uh, obviously this will be out of date by the time most people are listening to this. But Alexandra, I think, does play well in Madrid. I think she reached the semis last year. Mm, so yes. um so that's probably her first her first big test of the week, I would say, for Igor Sviantek. Saying players that pop up have a big win and then don't follow through with it is those are very triggering words for David just now. Yeah, because they keep beating my players that have predicted will do stuff and get to the semi-finals and beyond, and then doing nothing in the very next match. So, what is the point of knocking out Yelena Ostapenko, Ludmila Samsonova? What is the point? It's Thank very you. Maxime Cressy knocking knocking out Felix Auger-Aliassime at Wimbledon and then losing to Jack Sock. Jack... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's Maxime. Very that, isn't it? Um, yeah, look, I I didn't have Sviontek in my semi-final lineup. We've done semi-final predictions uh, this time around just to to make things interesting because otherwise, you know, every, everyone's just going to go for Alcaraz and and well, I say Sviontek, but as I was just saying, I didn't have her in my semi-finals because of Rabatkina, because of Rabatkina standing in her path to that semi-final, and I I think in Rome. I would pick Shvontek to come through that, but I in Madrid I thought about it and I thought the head-to-head plus the conditions, I would give him Rabakna the edge. So I think that's a a real break for for Iga Shvontek. She probably doesn't see it that way. She's world number one. She probably shouldn't be thinking in terms of you know lucky breaks, but that's how I see it. I have been I have been implored, or we as a podcast have been implored this week 
to explain a little bit about altitude because everybody mentions it in regards to Madrid, don't they? And there are other tournaments that are played at altitude. I mean, Quito. Um, but Madrid is the most notable one, isn't it? The most prominent one that is played at altitude high enough that it that it affects conditions. And it doesn't sound like much, does it? It's 657 metres, uh, the altitude of Madrid, which is uh, the second highest capital city uh, in Europe. If anybody can name the highest above sea level, then, well, there's no prize. But can anyone? I think I no. thought it was Madrid, so no. <laughs> it, it's it's Andorra, the capital of Andorra, or, or whatever the capital of Andorra is, it's that. Anyway, we digress. 657 metres doesn't sound like much, but it is enough to significantly affect the flight of the tennis ball because now I, I, I'm not going to divert too far into the realm of physics because absolutely nobody wants that, not least me. But there, the the air is less dense the higher up you go. Physically, fewer air particles, which means less resistance, less things for a ball to knock into as it travels through the air, which means it travels through the air more quickly. Um, and players string their rackets differently at high altitude. They'll string, generally speaking, they'll string more for control than power. And, you know, it favours favors big servers for obvious reasons. Um, a lot more than, than other play court surfaces would. So that is my little little GCSE bite-sized physics segment. And if you look at some of the you. results over the years... Arena Sabalenka's winning of it very comfortably a few years ago, thrashing Ash Barty in the final and, and loving the conditions when previously she hadn't really been into clay that much. Roger Federer did all right in Madrid, didn't he? Uh, I think he didn't he win the blue clay version of it, mm. I, I, I seem to recall. He did a tennis relived on that, David. Yes, of course. <laughs> and, and, and and Nadal, I mean, look, obviously he won, won it a hundred times, but he didn't win it a thousand times, which obviously he has everything else. So, uh, you know, everything's relative. And, and of course, the other thing is that there's, there's less oxygen in the air, the higher up you get. Think about how um, uh, aircraft cabins have to be pressurised. I mean, it is more of a physical challenge. I'm imagining, um, I mean, he's on court at the moment, isn't he? And actually, I don't think he has a fantastic record here, but Cameron Ory's horse lungs, you'd imagine, <laughs> probably come in, come in rather handy here, here and everywhere. Um, also, also on court at the moment, uh, Jessica Pagula and Martina Trevisan. Uh, one of those will face Veronica Kudimatova in the quarterfinals. She's just sort of always there, isn't she? Kudimatova plugging away. That Never was a being thriller talked about today. There we go. Thank you very much, Matt. Where was that yeah. earlier? She. I've just remembered it, and I don't know why, because I I spent hours watching that today, and it was great. Uh, Who she was it beat, against? She beat Daria Kasatkina, saved saved a couple of match points uh, down the stretch, and then. She was a mini breakdown in the final set tiebreak, Kudamatova, and just suddenly it all clicked and she started firing winners. And yeah, she's she's very reliable, isn't she, Kudamatova, to 
consistently do well at these events. And uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of tests still ahead for Igor Svantec, even even without Elena Rybakina, I would say, in that in that top half. In the in the bottom half, the first quarterfinal will be Maria Sakari against Arena Camelia Bego. I saw quite a lot of Sakari beating Paola Bedosa in two straight sets today. There were there were really good signs for Bedosa, and there have been in the last few weeks. Charleston seemed like a a really significant week from her. I mean, generally just getting back on clay, it's been it's been an optic on a on a pretty low baseline over the course of the last 12 months for Bedosa, but there was there there's still something missing the explosiveness the spark i'm sorry i can't be more scientific than that about it despite having set myself up as the the, the science gal in uh, <laughs> in this episode but i can't quite put my finger on it but even with this uptick in form and things are looking a bit better you know she beat coco golf 636 love and a lot of the tale of that match was coco golf and we'll talk about that in a moment but look there are green shoots of growth for bedossa i just don't have any confidence at all that she's on her way back to where she was necessarily there is something missing and it I mean, if I'm finding it frustrating, then goodness knows how she must feel. She looks fit. She looks hungry. When it's on, it looks every bit as good as it did. But the forehand is shaky under pressure. But it's the same. It's the same shot. You know, there doesn't look anything wrong. And as opposed to Coco Goff, who we'll talk about, who, you know, was hitting whole games worth of forehand errors. You can see that there's something technically wrong there. I can't see anything wrong with what Bados is doing other than that it's not going in a lot of the time and you have this feeling in your gut that it's not quite right which makes me think that it is a more mental thing and about confidence really you know we we, we've talked a lot about Dominic Team over the last year or so since fixing his injury at least on the surface he appears to be fit again but unable to to play quite the tennis he used to play sometimes it looks similar so why aren't the results the same um and but also i think to, to our naked eyes people maybe that don't don't un, might not spot the very intricacies of of what might be different technically but even if there isn't anything different there may be nothing different except that conviction when hitting the ball and you know when when it gets tense and tight i think that that is so vital really the 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 best players they don't even they don't blink they don't think they just do and i was impressed with Zachary today on that front because there i was on the whatsapp group making the jokes about maria Zachary being a set and a break up and saying this is She's right in the danger zone now. It's definitely going. I was saying, look, I've got no confidence in Badossa, but it's definitely going three because Zachary's a set and a break up. Lol. Um, the e- easiest <laughs> lol in a tennis in a tennis <laughs> WhatsApp group. There, it was a very cheap thrill, and I was she 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 made me look silly um, because she can't believe I'm going to say this about Maria Zachary, but she didn't blink. It was convincing, wasn't it? She was serving mm. really well. Uh, which I think mm. helped her. Uh, 
I do think, uh, as you said, I think I detected that Badosa wasn't quite right. That spark wasn't there because she wasn't able to force Zachary to get tight and get nervous. And, you know, she was just missing too much, really, that, that I think Zachary felt quite comfortable. But, yeah, it was it was really impressive from Zachary. And I think, you know, I don't think any of us had Zachary going deep in this tournament. I think we all saw that section and thought, oh, let's let's take a bit of a gamble on a player. And I think I, I certainly went with with Paola Bellosa, having having seen how she played in Charleston and in Stuttgart, where she really pushed uh, Arena Sabalenka. I thought there were, as you said, some really good signs from her. And I thought, you know, being in Madrid might help. Um, but Zachary sort of showed that, yes, we talk a lot about Zachary's problems in the latter stages of tournaments, but she is at least consistently getting to those latter stages, which which Paolo Bellosa hasn't been doing. And uh, I think Zachary's just sort of form and recent experience of that showed today. She looked readier, I suppose, in in the biggest moments today. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good to see for, for Zachary because, you know, she's got a doubt as us included, herself included, we know what her inner monologue is saying to her, right? Which makes her such a compelling watch, but might, well, almost certainly is what's also holding her back. It's it's fascinating. So, yeah, I do really feel it for her when she's um, when she's doing well. Just pedalling back for a moment to that pretty crushing defeat for for Coco Goff to Paola Bedosa. Uh, just confirm for me that I'm not exaggerating how disastrous that was for for Goff. I mean, literally whole game's worth of forehand errors. She completely fell apart, if we're being frank, in that match. Yeah, it was it was horrible to watch, actually. And it started out with just the forehand, and then I think all the confidence bled out of her completely and it started infecting the rest of her game and there were uncharacteristic backhand errors as well and and the serve wasn't particularly good and it was just really, really bad. And I think all this season I've been waiting for Goff to get back on the clay because that's that's the surface where she's got the most time on the ball to to hit that forehand and she isn't rushed and it and it looked pretty good last year and you know let's let's not forget of course she reached the French Open final she was she was playing brilliant tennis on this surface last year but but actually having seen her on clay they've been the the worst performances of the year really I I watched her in Stuttgart as well and and it wasn't good and Paula Balassa essentially said in her press conferences this week before playing golf I'm not going to tell you what my tactic is and then she was asked after playing golf, well, it looked like the tactic was just hit it to the forehand. Is that right? And she said, yeah, and not even have to hit it into the forehand with much pace. Just make sure the ball was on golf's forehand and it would either break down or Balosa knew she wasn't in much trouble in in the rally. And it's it's becoming, well, unsustainable I think for Goff something needs needs to change uh, with that forehand we've talked so much about about the difficulties of changing it but players are targeting it and it's not getting any better and I, I really feel for her now because it as I said it looks like it's affecting her whole game I think before she was 
we knew it was a problem, but she was able to cover it up. She's not really covering it up anymore. And uh, it's it's really, really tough to watch. Yeah, I really feel for her. Um, and it does feel like she's, she's stuck in a, a vicious circle with it, doesn't it? Um, so, oof, going to be interesting to see. She's got this longer gap than she would have done before Rome. I mean, not long enough to fix a forehand. I'm not suggesting that, but long enough to, to do some thinking. I don't know. But of course, the last time we kind of checked in with her about it or tried to check in with her about it, very understandably, her attitude seemed to be, I don't want to get in my head about it. So let's not let's not go there on the forehand. I don't want to feed into this narrative, but it just feels so unavoidable now, as you say, Matt, that oof, I don't know. I'm French Open final points to defend. Um, yeah, a bit worried for her, but um yeah, wish her well. Um, in the final, quarterfinal in the women's draw, incredible story here. We've got Arena Sabalenka through to the quarterfinals. And it does, you know, as much as we've talked up the other people sort of lurking, it does look like we're on for a sabalenka Shriantek rematch in the final. A lot can happen before then, but that, well, certainly the seedings say that's what we're on for. Um, Sabalenka beat uh, one of the, the two stories, I would say, of of the women's tournament um, to get to the quarterfinal. She beat Mira Andreev, who you might not have heard of because she is a, a now 16-year-old, but at the time of her wins this week was a 15-year-old. She beat Leila Fernandez and Beatrice Haddad-Meyer and Magdalenette all in straight sets before losing 6-3, 6-1 to Arena Sabalenka. She is fun and exciting, I think, Mira Andreva. Last week, we um, we referenced a meeting we'd had with a journalist from the Financial Times to, to talk about a, a Wimbledon uh, preview piece. And uh, he asked us to, to tip some youngsters for for long-range future success. And I really want to go back in time and <laughs> have mentioned Mira Andreva at that meeting. Because, But in all honesty, like I'd heard of her. Um, she was one of those names that was kicking around from juniors, etc. But she was not really on my radar as somebody even close to capable of doing this and you know we're, we're in that we have to walk that fine line with this nothing's a given we don't want to predict too much for them too soon um you know your body's still still growing at that age so much can change but she's also fantastically exciting and has a lot of chutzpah david what mm. i like to see well i I really took notice, I think, during the first set of the match against uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, when I noticed a tweet, I think from the WTA Insider account, quoting Andreeva, talking about how she likes to think of herself in terms of Ons Jabeur's game. And, and, you know, imagine that. I'm suddenly thinking, crikey, I want to go and watch this woman immediately. And I was in a position where I couldn't go and uh, watch all the match. So I, I immediately said, Matt, are you available? Go and watch her. Is she anything like Ons Jabeur? And uh, 
And I mean, Matt, I think you, you, you drew attention to there was a bit of difference about her. It wasn't all the same. I mean, she she was referencing in this quote her topspin, um, which I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think of uh, Jabur as a topspin heavy player, although the forehand has got some on it, I, I guess. But I, the sheer fact that she's thinking in those terms, anybody who thinks of themselves in the same sentence as Ons Jaberi, somebody I want to follow and want to watch. And then you see the names she's racked up in succession. And here I am talking about players who get a win, you take notice of them, and then they struggle to back it up because it's not easy to do. I mean, to be 15 and then turn in 16 in the middle of a Masters 1000 event and, you know, knocked out today in this what is now the second week of this tournament, that is a heck of a run. Um, and, and, you know, who knows what this transfers into in the future, but that's a fantastic platform. Yeah, and it's been a run that has been sort of in the making on, on the ITF circuit because she she reached the junior final of the Australian Open this year and it was a it was a heartbreaking loss. I remember keeping a sort of keeping an eye on the scoreline there. I think it was on a really stiflingly hot day in Melbourne the junior final this year and it was just it was just this epic and and she lost it late in the third set but but since then as as tough as that defeat was she's really bounced back and has put together this incredible streak you know in, in her first pro matches on on the ITF tour and she came in into Madrid having won 13 matches in a row and I was listening today to Naomi Brody in in commentary and and she was saying one of the things she finds most impressive is exactly what you were saying, David, in terms of backing wins up. You know, she's played so much tennis in the last month. Something, you know, basically she's played a match pretty much every day, really, or or certainly been playing so many matches over the last month. But physically, she still looked really strong and, and, and her conditioning is is clearly very, very good. In terms of her game, I think I saw her at the back end of that match against Hadeb Meyer and she was really digging in and having to fight and I don't think she was sort of expressing herself fully but it was it was really impressive how she was handling the pace uh, and she's got a nice slice forehand which I suppose is a little bit on Jabur like she can she can use that to to sort of mix up the spins and and the variety um, she's got an older sister uh, whose whose game she compared to Iga Sviontek so <laughs> I they're, mean, they're big on themselves. I love they're it. very big on themselves. <laughs> um, they were playing doubles together this week. So, you know, I think her sister's a little bit older. So, you know, certainly one to watch as well. And then today against Sabalenka, she started off really, really well. It was a very competitive first six games. And she was giving Sabalenka, you know, a lot to handle. And she was dealing with Sabalenka's pace. But eventually Sabalenka just just sort of overwhelmed her I was sort of reminded of a football match I watched earlier in the week or or, or highlights of you know how in in under 21 football sometimes a senior player is allowed to drop down into it if they want match minutes and I watched Fulham Brentford this week and Christopher Agere was playing for Brentford. He is a he is a two metre tall centre back and he was just crunching into tackles against these under twenty one Fulham players who didn't didn't really stand a chance and, and, and the latter stages of Sabalenka uh, Andreva today reminded me of that as as good as Andreva already is and a talent, 
she's coming up against a fully developed sort of just someone who is capable of overpowering her and and, and that is eventually what happened in this match uh, but a really thrilling week for Andreva there's there's all sorts of stats about how she's the third youngest player I think to win a main draw match at a WTA 1000 event since, since they sort of rebranded them um, and it's been exciting to see her win and back it up and she gave a brilliant interview as well where she talked about what the best thing was about being in, in these events and she said it was seeing Andy Murray and how beautiful he is in in real life. <laughs> she, she, she's got real personality to match the game so mm. it's it, it's been really exciting. Yeah, she's great. Remember the name, look out for her. We're going to try and walk the tightrope of being excited whilst not mm. pining too much pressure on. Uh, I mentioned that she's one of... Two standout stories um, in the women's side of things this week. And I think the other one is Maya Sharif, uh, the Egyptian player. She's into the quarters. Uh, She will play Rina Sabalenka there. And talking of, you know, backing up big wins, she beaten Camilla Georgie. That was via retirement in the opening round. But then backed that up with wins over Angelina Kalinina, who I saw play a lot in Madrid last year. She was a quarter finalist here last year and she really can play. And particularly in these conditions, she is a tricky customer to get past. She beat Elisa Mertens and she's beaten Caroline Garcia, Maya Sharif. I mean, I know she's in and out Garcia, but my goodness me, that is a run. And she's, she's, she's a cracking story, isn't she? She's 26 years old, but she, she went through the university route. She went to Pepperdine University in California, got her degree. Um, so, you know, transferred to play pro tennis it, into her 20s. You know, in, in terms of her canister, she's she's younger than her years, if you like. Um, thinks of Madrid as her second home, I think, left Egypt at age 15 and spent two years training in Madrid. She did. She's been doing her on-court post-match interviews in Spanish and the crowd have been absolutely loving her. She first, well, certainly came to my attention. I think this is a, a shared a shared experience for all of us when she almost beat Karolina Pliskova, I think it was, in the first round of Roland Garros, to quote John McEnroe, out of nowhere, um, <laughs> a few years ago. And it's been, it's been up and down for her since then. Every now and then she she pops up doesn't she, and reminds us how exciting she is. But this feels like, you know, the most standout week she's had. Um, And I'm so pleased for her because she is charming as hell and um, a great story and a, a real, a real tennis player. Mm, yeah, I... I think uh, she was a little bit disappointed with her form so far this year. I think I think she she told uh, Reem Abelil, um but has has come to Madrid and and has really rediscovered her best stuff. And I love her intensity. I I know you I know you're working on an intensity list, Catherine. She and... she is eyes emoji under mm. review. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. I, I like it too. Yeah, and uh, big game, big forehand, uh, and yeah, it's 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 going to be exciting to see her bring that. I think against against Sabalenka, and, and she's also um, just sort of 
one of those players who you would not want to draw, I think, at the French Open in if you're a you know top player because she's going to be a real handful, I think, especially on this surface. And if she can keep going and keep getting her ranking up, I think I think there'll be a lot of players who actually would be would be quite pleased about that. Am I right that two of these women's quarterfinals are being played tomorrow, Tuesday, and two of them will be played Wednesday? They're being split over the two days, I think. Tomorrow we get Sabalenka, Sharif and Zachary Begu. Um, and mm. then the other two must be on Wednesday. Really looking forward to the time when all draws and all sides of all draws are at the same <laughs> stage on the same day. I fear that time might never come, uh, or at least I'll have to wait to, for the weekend. Uh, <laughs> but hoping and praying. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. On to the men's draw where we've got to the bottom half round three matches today. So completely different stage of proceedings to the women. Well done, tennis. Uh, So what have we had set up? We have round four matches uh, that are to be thus. Carlos Alcaraz against Alexander Zverev, two former champions, of course. Karen Hashinov against Andrei Rublev. Uh, These matches are tomorrow. Hashinov, Rublev is first on Manole Santana and Alcaraz Zverev is 
third, uh, we've got Jaume Munar against Daniel Altmaier. That'll open things up on the Arantxa Sanchez Stadium tomorrow. In fact, I think all of these matches might be tomorrow. Let's hmm. let's let's say that that's the case. There was a little uh, bit of aggro, we... by the way, between uh, Munar and Kokonakis that I saw. Did you we're, see? That? We're coming. We're coming Ooh. back to that, David. Let me finish my list. <laughs> okay. And we'll we'll come up we'll come back to memorable moments from from the week so far. Uh, Chorich versus Alejandro Davidovich Vakina, Yannanadstruf against Pedro Kashin, uh, Bernabe Zapata Miraez against either Stefano Sitsipas or Sebastian Baez, uh, and they are in a third set. Baez's love one thirty all. We'll keep you posted on that. Uh, Taylor Fritz will take on either Zhang or Cameron Norrie. It's looking like it's going to be Cameron Norrie. He and his horse lungs are a set to the good at the moment. And then we have Daniel Medvedev against... Um, Happening again, Aslan Karatsev. Aslan Karatsev. He's back. Um, so that is what we've got set up. Uh, in the men's, only Sitsipas or Baez left to book their spots in the last 16. Uh, let's talk about some of the thrilling tennis that we've seen so far this week to set up those round of 16 matches. Back to you, David, for the aggro update. Yeah, uh, well, just, you know, sorry, Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Runner and everybody else. You've got to stand in line because uh, I caught a, a few seconds of Jaime Munar going up to the net uh, upon winning match point against Tanasi Kakanakis and saying, don't you tell me to shut up again. <laughs> and uh, Kakanakis Ooh. saying, or what? And uh, and Munar clearly didn't quite know what or what meant because he just kept repeating what what he'd said, to which Kokonakas kept repeating or what, and then <laughs> and then Munar eventually uh, tried to explain why he'd told or, or, or why he was annoyed at him, and and then and on and on it went, and eventually they went their separate ways, and so I don't think there ever was an or what uh, incident. Um, conclusion but anyway it was <laughs> briefly entertaining and Munar <laughs> appears to be still in the draw so he's doing quite well it will annoy me if Sitsipas crushes Dominic team's dreams uh, and then loses to Sebastian Byers that will annoy me sorry Sebastian Byers Not, nothing personal at all but I feel like I gave so much emotionally to Dominic Team the other night and his thriller. There we go, there's another thriller. That was an ab that was the definition of thriller. Hmm. Uh his match. Was it significant for Dominic Team the fact that he pushed Stefano Sitsipas to a final set tiebreak, or is the fact that Sitsipas is only beating Team seven six in the third and now struggling against Baez more a reflection of Sitsipas not being really close to his best at the moment? I don't think Sitsipas is close to his best. I don't. I think he's struggling. I think he's reaching for form. But let's face it, Dominic Team has been so far away, so far away that even a not quite informed Stefano Sitsipas has been it's been so out of reach to think that he could play a match like that against Sitsipas, I think. I'd stopped hoping 
the Dominic team because it was it was crushing me. Um, and I didn't, you know, him splitting with Nicholas Massu, I didn't like the sound of that. I'd heard rumblings about him contemplating retirement. You know, I'd been hearing nothing but dark things from the Dominic team camp. And what I hope, I, I refuse to believe, assuming he's fit and think he is, you know, he's had a good run without any injury concerns or niggles. I know with the wrist, there's a big psychological element to, to that type of injury, getting rid of that brain worm that makes you feel like something's going to go wrong every time you hit your forehand. I, I'm aware of that. But assuming he's fit, he's fit, I refuse to believe that he isn't capable of playing great tennis again. He is too good for that not to be in there somewhere. And I feel like what he needs is proof of concept, proof that it's possible, just some sort of boost to give him the belief that he can get back there. He must be so bereft just now about why it's not happening, why he can't find it. And I just, I know this might be irrational. Um, maybe you two are able to to be more rational and you can tell me how irrational I am being. But I just hope this match was that. I just hope it was enough evidence that it's possible that it's within touching difference if he just keeps believing to to spur him on um and may, maybe it didn't matter if he win or lost for that reason the point was the the tennis he was able to produce it felt a bit inevitable to me that when it went down to a deciding deciding set tiebreak i mean of course he's not going to have the muscle memory and the the match tightness to be able to come through something like that. It really would have surprised me if he'd found a way there in the end. Um, but I, I hope this is the turning point so desperately. Um, but I realise that might be, I don't know, that might be heart overhead. Mm. I mean, it doesn't look like he is physically impeded anymore to me. Um, maybe I know Andy Murray talked about how his forehand is inhibited, but 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 is that a mental thing or is that a physical thing? I suppose that's a question mark, and and he can't dominate necessarily with that shot the way he used to be able to. Uh, but but he doesn't look like he's taking loads off the ball or anything like that. It just feels like confidence and belief and and groove really uh, being out there on a on a big court playing players that he used to beat and beating them I, I do feel as though that my bigger concern is when he plays people that are way short of where he used to be and who he used to just mop up the way top players do and the, and he's having real faff with them him playing Sitsipas hard is is encouragement but but to to give me belief that he's actually taken it any further he, he needs to start beating people comprehensively and efficiently yeah i think team's answer to that question is the answer like if team is able to take belief and confidence from coming so close against a top player like Sitsipas, then great he can build on that but if team thinks oh it's a an yet another close mm. narrow defeat i think this is his third deciding set tie break that he's lost this year and if he thinks oh again and it's like deflating Someone for get him that man in a lift with david law <laughs> 
Right, for real. <laughs> David will say his words just, of wisdom, just, which just are... Just keep at it. Keep at it. It'll come. <laughs> I would give him such a hype talk, honestly. <laughs> oh, that's what he needs. I bloody love Dominic Honestly, too. I'd love you <laughs> to put a, an arm around Dominic T and hype him up. <laughs> David hypes, hypes people like no other... Mm. Oh, that's what he needs. There's an opening now, David. Masu yeah. not on the scene. Although his fitness guy looks looks pretty hyped-tastic to me. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I can beat him somehow. <laughs> He's got, He's got a lot. Of... <laughs> I'm not sure how you your energy would, would mesh with his. Might just be too much. I, I just end up saying, just calm down a bit, mate, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got the hype, dude. You back in your box. Time and a time and a place. Time and a place. <laughs> Does that guy send the perfect voice note at you know early in the morning so you wake up to it as as David mm. does? I, I don't know, but I don't think so. Not many people do, in mm. my experience. Um, right, let's talk Holgeruna, shall we? He's given us a lot this week. He's out of the tournament. Uh, but with a bang, rather, he, as I said, he came through in his opening match, I think it was. Yeah, his opening match against Alexander Bublik, 7-6 in the third. Thriller, can confirm that was a thriller. There was the most extraordinary match point save from Alexander Bublik with a a, a little pickup volley from his from his feet, which he celebrated with both sort of, sort of a combination of Alcaraz and Medvedev energy. Uh, just looked at the crowd like you are going to give that the respect it deserves, guys. Uh, <laughs> and they did; they absolutely loved it. The whole vibe was was incredible. Um, and then Holgerina finds himself in another hashtag thriller late last night with Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. This one had a little bit of everything, including Carlos Bernardes parenting Holgerina. I feel like they're assigning he's like his. Um, you know, chaperone on tour. They're assigning Carlos Bernardes to his matches. Even Carlos yesterday even back referenced their match in Madrid in Monte Carlo. He said, "Holger, I told you in Monte Carlo, this won't get you anywhere. It's just wasted energy, son." Shouldn't uh, be doing I've editorialized that. a bit there, but but you get the idea. Um, you know, we we, we should he be doing? Do you, do you mean the, the do you mean the tone? Do you mean the tone? Uh, well, no, more, more just he's taking a part in the match right there, isn't he? I mean, remember what happened to Marmaleani? He, he got suspended for doing that with Nick Kyrgios, or at least trying to get him to improve his attitude back in the US Open. I think it's I think it's walking a line, for sure. I mean, I find it funny, but yeah, I agree. It occurred to me. I think it's probably just the right side of the line for me. But Holger I agree, Runa's it's, it's, a, it's fun, a judgment call. I mean, you know, yeah. imagine the blooming thought process to sort of go and look as though you're about to rub out a mark that, that, is, that Alejandro <laughs> Davidovich Vecchino is kicking off about in front of although, a Spanish crowd. Although the marks are irrelevant now. I know, but still, They come use video on. review, which... Love it. That I, I am generally in favour of... <laughs> Video review and with caveats, rolling rolling out 
electronic line calling, which the ATP this week have announced that they're going to be doing at all tour events from from 2025, except on clay. I I I I I find it I do find it completely bonkers that we're using a a system with a margin for error when there is a a physical mark available that just isn't being looked at. Um, yeah, that that's silly to me. Um, he got booed off court yesterday, Holger Rune. What do we think of that? Booed off court and then to cap off a bad evening after losing, of course, to Davidovich Fakina, who we, we will talk about. Um, I, I, I saw on Twitter, I had an hour on the tarmac in my uh, Iberia flight earlier, and I used that time to, to do a number of things. Uh, and one of them was discover that uh, Holger Rune blocked the Holger Rune News Twitter account last night. <laughs> For doing what? Do we know? <laughs> don't know. Don't know. It was only positive Holger Rune News tweets in there. He was trying to be his hype man. You know, I assume it's a he. I don't know. Um, yeah. But tough one for Holger Rune last mm. night. Tough one to stomach. And I've I've just seen on, on Twitter that he has put out a statement about about last night saying there was a lot of talk today about bad behavior among spanish fans last night i mean i would pause there and say i think i think maybe there was more talk about bad behavior from you holger but <laughs> but anyway but the spanish fans haven't put out put, haven't put no. out a statement so anyway he continues yesterday the crowd didn't understand what was going on you cannot overrule a computer call and it took the umpire and supervisor a very long time to explain this to my opponent, and they didn't bother to communicate this to the crowd. Next time, I will take a nap while they discuss. <laughs> Just want to say that personally, I hold nothing against the Spanish people, and I look forward to coming back to the Mature Madrid Open. <laughs> Good. He's a, he's a big man for not holding that against the whole of the Spanish people. <laughs> it takes a it takes a big man to be able to do that. And and in breaking news, someone has replied saying in capitals, unblock uh Holger Runa News and Holger <laughs> has replied, it's not blocked. <laughs> well, hang on a second. A number of questions here. Do we think Holger composed that himself or is his mum still in charge of his social media? I mean, it's quite chaotic yeah. social media, isn't it? It is quite chaotic, which, I mean, that could be his mum. It could be him. Who, Keep who going, knows? Holger. Keep doing it. We're loving it. I'm loving it. We are We are loving it. I loved that match last night. Oh. I mean, Alejandro Davidovich Vakina is, is a banker for a fun time, isn't he? And we were tweeting during it. Uh, we were WhatsApping during it. And, you know, we were sort of lamenting he's such a fun time, but during that fun time you're not backing him to win you've got this slightly hollow feeling um in your stomach knowing that he'll probably deliver the fun time right up until a moment before the end and then and then fail to deliver i think this was massive for him that he got across that line massive yeah I completely agree. I I loved this match. And one thing I really liked about it was that um, David Ferrer was sitting in, in about row two in the stadium. And you kept getting these shots of, uh, 
you know, Alejandro Davidovich, Fakina ready to return serve and sort of just, just behind him, David Ferrer. And I was thinking, you know, it feels a little bit like he needs a bit more Ferrer in him. He needs to be just that little bit more reliable. But at the same time, if he were, I think that would that would take away the fun element. And that is the word that most often comes to mind when I think of Davidovich Fakina. He is such a fun watch. And maybe maybe different to Ferrer in that he does he is also capable of having these incredible injections and suddenly looking like, you know, he's capable of sort of beating anyone. And I think he really displayed that in, in the final moments of this match because he should have won it in two sets. He fell a breakdown at the start of the third and then he did brilliantly to get that break back. I thought he was gone. And he then serves for the match and I thought, wow, okay, we're in a great place. He then lost nine of the next 10 points and he was choking. He was he was coming up with these terribly timed drop shots. You know how we always talk about Alcaraz getting the drop shot right? Davidovich Fakina was just getting it horribly wrong. Every time he hit it, he just winced because it was clearly the wrong shot choice. And his coach was doing full David Law at this stage, wasn't he? Like sort of, oh, don't don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Positivo, positivo. <laughs> <laughs> but he was love 30 down then, Davidovich Fakina, and suddenly came up with four incredible forehand winners, sort of each one bigger than the next, and and ended up taking over and, and winning. And I think that's that's really big for him. You know, Mary Crillo always says he, he he choked and he won anyway. And I think I think that's that's quite impressive to sort of overcome himself there and come through the other side and 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 be hitting freely again. And he's in a section of the draw now which is wide open. He's 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 in that mm. Chorich Munar Altmaier section and you know, if if he's if he recovers physically from this match, it was it was long, and I can go on a mini rant about how they've made Madrid twelve days, and yet they still insist on tennis happening at one o'clock in the morning, which is just well. There was a moment when Carlos Bernardo spoke to the crowd and said, "For goodness' sake, everyone, that it's one o'clock in the morning. Please, <laughs> yeah. please let the play, please respect the players, or something." And it was this real sort of breaking the fourth wall moment like we all know this is stupid but it's you know we're not supposed to say it not while it's actually happening I mean, anyway look, the, the, it's, it's only a minor example but I was absolutely hanging on this match I loved everything about it from the the two personalities involved the tennis the atmosphere the drama the aggro everything and yet I went to sleep at halfway through the second set because I couldn't stay up anymore um, and, and that's that's partly because I'm getting old and all the rest of it. But how many people were in the crowd? I'm curious to know right at the end. Was it full? It was a good crowd. But mm. one of the things in Madrid, of course, I mean, a a day in Madrid is is pushed back to a day that we know it. You know, things do go on later. I still think I don't think 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. are prime viewing hours for sport. You know, La Liga doesn't schedule matches at that time. I still I still don't think it's right that tennis is being played at that time. But in Madrid, I think you are going to get players, fans staying later. Um, but the setup in the stadium there, of course, is that the lower levels are these sort of boxes and they're the more expensive seats and the VIP seats they were they weren't that full but then the upper sections with you know 
your ordinary fans was was pretty packed and there was a really good atmosphere so it didn't it didn't suffer it didn't feel like it was being played in front of nobody but equally it could have been played in front of more people and you know the players have have got to recover from that it wasn't ridiculously late but everything you know it's fine margins isn't it and having having that really late finish could end up impacting Davidovich for Kina and I just I just don't understand how They've extended Madrid so much. You know, they've added an extra five days to the tournament. They used to get this event done in a week. There's so much time. Okay, I know there's a few more players in the draw now, but there's so much time. There really doesn't feel like there should be any need to be playing tennis at one o'clock in the morning. I, I don't understand why why tennis keeps doing it. Uh, a couple of other uh, results, matches, men to touch upon uh, quickly because we are running out of time. Daniel Medvedev uh, won today, was referred to in various quarters this match as a piece of performance art by <laughs> Daniel Medvedev. Uh, a potted review, Matt? Well, I joined this match in the third set and loved it. I mean, it was it was just sort of classic Medvedev. He was sticking a load of tissue up his up his nose. He was pouring a lot of water into his eye. Uh, he, he started bowing at one point after after hitting winners, which was a sort of reference back to the fact that the crowd had sort of been booing him at the end of the first set. It, it, it was all the Medvedev hits. Um, he was up against Shevchenko, who is a player I, I don't know much about at all. And he was really in trouble, breakdown in, in that final set. But but managed to come come through it. Shevchenko was struggling physically by the end, clearly cramping. Uh, and Medvedev, I think, was able to hide his cramps because he, he he didn't even sort of get up to sign the camera at the end of the match. He wanted the camera brought to him to sign it. I think he was struggling physically as well. It was it was really hot in in the sort of middle of the day in in Madrid. Um, but yeah, Medvedev on clay basically continues continues to enthrall and entertain and long may it last yeah the 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 hits keep coming um and last by no but by no means least um carlos alcaraz as we said he set up a fourth round match against another former champion alexander zverev in the fourth round we've seen two matches from him so far um rocky start for alcaraz better Yesterday against Grigor Dimitrov, a lot better actually, I would say. First round needed three thrilling sets, I would say, to come through against, or, or certainly thrilling periods uh, throughout the match, uh, to come through against Emil Ruizavori, a, a player that I've never quite understood. I know he's still young, there's still plenty of time, but I've never quite understood why he doesn't have better results. He, 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 other than a, a bit of variety, he he looks a really complete tennis player to me. Very much in the sort of Yannick Sinner, Andre Rublev mold of incredibly fast twitch um, arms and you know those drilled drilled ground strokes. I, I've got uh, I've got a question mark over the the Fang situation for Emil Rusevori. Put out a tweet after the match, which I don't know. It was not not getting him anywhere near my intensity slash per list. I know, look, people have different feelings about this. It was a lovely tweet. He just said, you know, what a pleasure it was to be part of the match with Carlos Alcaraz. Lovely. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. I, I, I want them to be, 
I, I don't know. He lost a match from a winning position. I want him to be furious and not see it as a pleasure. I want him to. I want him to have more, you know, heartbreak energy. I don't know. It makes me question his fangs, but I'm, I'm being harsh. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his tennis. Um, and Alcaraz for a set and a half there was bad by his own standards. I thought he was really bad, and he, you know, Rusevori had definitely. You know, exactly as I said, they were like, mm, my game's a little bit like Yannick Sinner's. Um, Yannick Sinner's got quite a good record against Carlos Alcaraz. Maybe I'll watch some of their previous matches. Smart move. And, and without question, that would have been a factor. But Alcaraz still, I think, was reaching big time in those opening stages. Yeah, he was loose, wasn't he, Alcaraz? He he was missing all over the place, and, and Rusevori's good. I mean, he is a really talented guy who's got a compact game, and yeah, he was in a great position. And then next thing I know, Matt, I'm, I kind of hand over to you to watch the third set. It's over in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty exhilarating, actually, how Alcaraz just found his game, just just ignited and 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 that third set was much more your typical Alcaraz match winning sort of winning points that he that you feel like Rusevori has already won and yet somehow Alcaraz manages to get his foot to the ball and and hit an incredible winner or something and yeah I I think Alcaraz said afterwards that he was a little bit um overwhelmed I guess being in Madrid there's there's an awful lot of attention on on him Nadal is not there he is he is the guy um at the biggest tournament in Spain and and he wouldn't have had that before I think maybe slightly explained that that slow start but but generally it felt like we've we've maybe already reached the stage with Alcaraz where he can play not very well and he can play an opponent who's playing really well and yet he can still win and that's that's sort of the edge that all the best players have I think over over the rest of the field and and that feels like a step that Alcaraz has, has made this year, even compared to last year. You know, he he isn't he isn't going out early in in, in tournaments at all. Really, he's he, even if he's taking time to find his feet, he's still able to win matches. Maybe a little bit even with his aura. You know, it felt like Rusevori got tight. He he suddenly thought, "Wow, I might I might beat Alcaraz in Madrid." It was. It was a big moment for him, and if Alcaraz has, has kind of got that in his locker already as well, then yeah, you just sort of fear for the rest of the field, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He he remains remains the favourite at this stage, but a uh, lot of tennis to be played. Sitsipas currently serving for the match against Sebastian Byers five three in the third set. Break that point, Byers. So yeah. Write your own ending to that one. Um, we do have a few bits of news, talking points from the last week that we wanted to have time to get on to, um, but spent too much time talking about all of just too many thrillers to, to cover. <laughs> um, the, there's been a bit of a story this week regarding Emirati Khan, who's certainly in the British press, um, which I don't think we have time. I want to be able to cover it properly. So perhaps we'll carve out a bit of time to to talk about that on on Thursday. Needless to say, it you know it wasn't a great week for her. She came to Madrid, ended up um, withdrawing ahead of her scheduled first round first round match with a wrist injury, but not before having a 
a very terse exchange with uh, a couple of the British print journalists that had that had gone out there to to speak to her and, and the other Brits, and it was very widely reported here in the UK. Um, we we're not brushing past it. We just want to be able to cover it properly. So we'll perhaps park that one until Thursday. Um, there was a Jeannie Bouchard tweet that garnered quite a lot of attention this week. Uh, she beat Diana Yastremska um, in the opening round. A reminder that um, Bouchard had also a few years ago beat Maria Sharapova in Madrid um, shortly after Maria Sharapova was coming back from her ban. Um and she put out a tweet, did Jeannie Bouchard, uh, something pretty incendiary, which could have been in relation to Yastremska's failing an anti-doping test, which was subsequently overturned when a tribunal, quote, accepted her account of how Mestero- Mesterolone entered her system and determined that she bore no fault or negligence for the violation. Um, and then she subsequently tweeted an apology. I want to apologise for my tweet yesterday. It was a lapse in judgment and unnecessary. Though I've always championed fair play, I didn't have all my facts in order and certainly didn't mean to cause harm. I'm going to continue to work on myself going forward, both on and off the court. Everyone's everyone's saying that they're going to work on themselves in tweets, aren't they? Let's all go and work on ourselves. Um Also an update this week from Simona Halep, who we haven't heard much from uh, recently because she's been serving a provisional ban for testing positive for Roxadustat at the US Open last August. She denies knowingly taking the banned substance. Um, and yeah, she's been provisionally suspended for the last six months. She released a video on the Tennis Majors website and social media feeds this week. That's the um, site, the brand that is that is owned by Patrick Moratoglu. Of course, her her sort of former, current sort of coach on hiatus, I think, maybe. He's certainly very present in Holger Rune's team and box at the moment. Who knows Who knows whose payroll he's on? But anyway, uh, she says in the interview, um, in the video, I'm not asking for special treatment. I just asked to be judged. How much longer is this going to take? At this age, it's really tough to lose days, weeks and months. You're scared about the injuries. When you don't have the official matches, it's more risky. When time passes like this, it's harder to come back. Uh, The International Tennis Integrity Unit responsible for testing in the sport said the process is ongoing. It added that the former world number one Halep's case was, quote, being run in line with the world anti-doping code. Halep mentioned the ITF in her video and they clarified... The ITF has no involvement in the management of this case as the tennis anti-doping programme is managed and enforced by the International Tennis Integrity Agency, the ITIA, on behalf of the ATP, WTA, ITF and Grand Slam. So that throws up a discussion about about provisional bans, um, which again, you know, we probably don't have time to get into the whole whole debate here, but there certainly is a debate around... Um, provisional suspensions, whether they are correctly applied, whether if you're going to have a system of provisional expansion, suspensions, it is fair that the process of bringing it to a judgment takes so long. I mean, it, it, this must feel like an incredibly long process for, for Simona Hallett. But equally, 
you know, you can imagine, say she tested positive August last year. I mean, imagine a situation where players are testing positive and just continuing to compete normally on tour. That would be problematic as well. I don't have the answers, but I certainly sympathise with, with Samantha Halep's frustration and it's something worth shedding light on, I think. Uh, and I think that's just about your lot, other than to, to footnote that Andy Murray is playing in a challenger this week in Aix-en-Provence, where he plays Gaël Monfils in round one. <laughs> Gotta love we it. are through the looking glass now, kids. <laughs> Andy Murray and Gaël Monfils that split the four junior Grand Slam titles in 2004. I mean, Andy Murray only got one. Gaël Monfils won the other three. And here they are, ages... They might both must be 35, 36. Um, various assorted injuries. Gemmorfis has all his original body parts. Um, but I'd <laughs> as say, far of, as we know. Of, uh, as far as we know. But of late has been sort of in an even worse physical state than, than Andy Murray. And there they are playing in round one. Of a, I mean, I'm going to be finding the stream and watching it. I hope it doesn't make me sad. That's my only wish for that match. And Tommy Paul is the top seed. Well, well, get down to Aix-en-Provence, I would say. <laughs> also a lovely city. Uh, so that really is your lot for this week in tennis, except to tell you that our mascot for this episode is Kiwi. Kiwi is owned by Chloe and Haley. And before I read the blurb, I'm going to look at her and guess that she is a chihuahua. That's my guess. Uh, she's adopting a very Billie Jean-esque sleeping pose on a very plush-looking rug throw type item in this picture. And she looks very peaceful and lovely. And like a dog, I would like to cuddle. Uh, Chloe and Haley say she adores lounging under blankets. Yep, great. Whenever she's not playing. And each evening at 10pm, she calmly plants her 10-pound chihuahua frame in her crate. Demands to have us close the crate door and then further demands that we leave the room promptly so that she may rest for the night. Like the Queen. Wow. What a spirit. Uh, that's what Chloe and Haley say. Wow. What what a, a queen indeed. She sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, be more Kiwi, I would say, is my advice to everybody out there in the world. Uh, we have our mascots. David has Maisie. I've got Xenia and Matt has Darwin. We've got we've all got some skin left in the Madrid predictions game this week. Some some flailing skin. Um, <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers Jamie, Hannah, and Drew, and we have shout outs. Matt, we have Vicky Cole, who is near Salisbury in the UK. Like Joe Salisbury. Right, Vicky. Yes. And Vicky says that she's lived in Kenya and Sri Lanka with very patchy TV coverage of even the big events. So the podcast has been great for keeping up with what's going on. Oh, and and would that. you believe when we had Vicky Spreadbury the other week and I couldn't think of a Vicky, uh, we had an email from a Julian Mills who says, I think you missed a trick on tennis Vickies. What about Vicky Nelson of the extremely long tie break where one point consisted of a rally of over 600 shots? 
Six hundred. That can't be right. What? Honest. That's what it. That's what the email says. I haven't verified shots. it. That's yeah. Me flashbacks of Karenia Buster against Nishikori. <laughs> mm. Did Vicky throw her bag across the court at the end of the match? <laughs> Thank you, Vicky. We've also got Alec Mills from Bristol. Right, Alec. Hello, Alec. My granddad was an Alec. He was an Alexander and an Alex, but also an Alec. And he was a truly lovely man. So great name. And we also have uh, Sir Alec Ferguson of being aggressively doorstopped by David at the US Open 2012 (laughs) fame. Of course, yes, that you is, do. you know, not necessarily what he's most famous for, but around these parts it is. Not in, not in his Wikipedia, but we know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Alec. Great name. Thank you for your support. And finally, we have Dan Hatch, who is an Australian in London, but originally from Perth. All right, Dan. Uh, hello, Dan. Perth of tennis players having their photos taken with Quokka's fame. We love those photos. And Dan of, I mean, got to go Dan Evans, haven't we? Dan of Dyla Dan fame. Any other tennis Dans? Dan. Daniel Altmaier. Daniel Altmaier, yeah. Is he a Dan? Nestor. Yeah. I think we we, we peaked with Dan Evans. I'm sure Dan's (laughs) like, that's fine. You've done me proud. Uh, thank you very much, Dan. I hope, I, hope you, I hope you find that a satisfactory list of tennis Dans. Thank you to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast for your continued support. Uh, if you don't already know, our Q&A show that we recorded all together last week is now available, including on YouTube. If you'd like to watch it, the link to watch it is in our newsletter uh, and in the show notes. So if you'd like to listen or watch and you're not already a friend subscriber, you can become one for £5 a month or £50 a year. You can also get a shout out or introduce a podcast. The link to do all of that is in our show notes. And for real this time, that really is your lot. But it is a 1000 week. So we'll be back on Thursday. I'll have news from the ground, hopefully. Uh, And we will all be back with you. So we'll speak to you then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.